Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Starboy Saka sends England level before penalty drama pushes England into the final. This is the Arsenal Vision Euro 2020 Daily. My name is Elliot Smith, the Blackman Twitter, Yankee Gunner. It's uh, It's got to be unbearable. I, I, I want to say, Denmark, congratulations on an incredible hell of a journey. Um, one that started in the most distressing manner possible and became, you know, I think something that everybody had to cheer and support. And so it... It felt bad uh, that this had to crash up against the England narrative. Um, I know Tim and Clive were, were at the game, and so congrats to them. I hope they enjoyed it. To anyone uh, listening who is an England supporter or, or just on the day was an England supporter, congrats. A, a monumental occasion now sets up between England and Italy. It was um, a tense way to get there, and I have to say I I am glad that I am not more invested than I was because I can't imagine what it was like watching it, and that means I have to ask how exhausting uh, and terrifying and awful this experience must have been for Phil. You can find me on Twitter, underscore Phil Costa. Hello, Phil. Very. That's how exhausting <laughs> it was. And I mean, I've made it, you know, I've tweeted a couple of times. I said on the podcast that I've never really felt so strongly about England. But yeah, today was just absolutely horrible. There were a few moments when I when I truly realized what was at stake and just the thought of going out made me nauseous. So I'm so glad that it, you know, ended up going for me in the end. Yeah, I mean, in a way, I almost feel like it's better being at the ground where there's the energy and the people around you and you're hugging and you're supporting and it's a day out versus the isolation of sitting, watching the TV in a in a glass case of emotion, <laughs> just going through it. Uh, it must have been torture and, and it gets started with England actually going behind. So... I think we can dive into it. I just want to say one thing. If you are someone who has thought about coming to the Vegas event, the free registration window is still open for a little bit longer and the hotel code is is going to expire. So I know, um, you know, a lot of people may not be staying at the win, but we've got, I think, 300 people registered now. And, and so if you are interested in that, go to Football Fest 2021 and sign up. Um, let's take this a piece at a time. I think there are really three storylines in the first half but I want to start from the penalty so we can just get it out of the way. I tweeted that I saw this. And again, I only got one look at it because when they were doing the replay, I was whipped around. I was taking care of something else. And it looked to me like, like Sterling gets clipped. Then he keeps going. Then he dives. And people got mad at me and said, nope, just a blatant dive. So maybe I saw it wrong. I do think this falls into the category of hard for VAR to overturn. Some people didn't feel that way. I think England were good enough to deserve, quote-unquote, this victory, so I, I, I almost wish it came without this controversy, but do you have a strong feeling one way or the other on the award of the penalty? Yeah, agreed. Um, I thought it was on the softer side. I mean, he does, you know, Sterling does brilliantly to to turn inside Mailer, 
But the the thing for me is, even though it was like I'm completely not denying that it's soft. I think um, Sterling does kind of he's falling into a challenge. But the kind of difference maker for me was that when Mailer was chasing Sterling back, he kind of pulled out at the end. But Jensen kind of uh, Matthias Jensen, he kind of came in and didn't. Uh, sort of slow down or look to jockey Sterling. I thought he was really clumsy, actually. And um, I don't think it was the contact from Mailer that was, you know, the actual reason for the penalty. I think it was Jensen who kind of came in and, and nudged Sterling with his side. So for me, that was the, the clumsy point uh, and why the penalty was awarded, because I think Mailer did really well to kind of realize the situation and think, oh, I'm not going to stick my leg out here because Sterling was running at pace. He'd already beaten him once. So, but yeah, no, you know, no doubt for me that it was uh, on the softer side. Absolutely. He'd been threatening it all game. I mean, dancing past people getting into the penalty area. I think England had a lot of tricky moves in the penalty area. And I thought Denmark did really well, actually, not to concede penalties in this game from a lot of situations where they were under immense pressure, having had a defender beaten by Sterling, a couple times by Saka, even by Kane. The the thing that I think makes it look like a dive is Sterling does the drag the straight leg move when he goes down. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He he straightens Mm -hmm. that and points the toe and the right leg. And that, that to me is always the looking for it move. That's... That's sort of the the hallmark I'm looking for here. But look, it is it is going to be a thing that I think anyone supporting Denmark has, has a right to be furious about. If it was given against a team I supported and potentially knocked me out of the tournament in the semifinal, I'd be furious. And yet, I think you have to say, if you don't want to get eliminated that way, you, you probably... I know football doesn't work this way, but I think England were good enough to say they just about had the right to go through. So while the penalty may have been harsh, I think the the better team, the team that had more of the dangerous play, went through. So it is what is it. And I I, I mean, England can't do anything the easiest way, easy way. Got to miss a penalty in a, in a tournament, right? So Kane misses and then gets the rebound. When, he, when the penalty is saved in that split second before it's followed up, did you have enough time to have an emotion? Yeah, for me, I just had a horrible feeling because Schmeichel, I don't know what it is, but he he's just sort of turned into this world-class goalkeeper. And I could slowly, you know, like, did you ever watch Dragon Ball Z when they like slowly charge up and turn Super Saiyan? I was kind of getting Super <laughs> Saiyan vibes from Schmeichel, like slowly his power was just building. And I was like, please don't let this go to penalties because he's just going to be you know, the hero against England after he did that, you know, little quirky remark in the press conference about his coming home and everything. So um, I don't know. I just had a horrible feeling he was going to save it. And obviously he did. Um, actually, the, the penalty itself surprised me because I don't think Kane struck it well at all. Um, usually he's very decisive from the penalty spot, like smashed straight into the bottom corner. But he kind of placed this one and it wasn't in the corner and it was at a nice height for Schmeichel. But obviously... Sometimes you just get a bit lucky with where the rebound goes and it went straight to Kane. So it was kind of like, oh, well, yeah, like one of those ones where you don't really have, you know, much time to, to think about it or, or do anything. But, you know, it was in the back of the net and that's the that's the main thing for me. So I can completely understand why Denmark are aggrieved by that and pissed off by the decision. But you know, um, we can we saw Italy the other day waste about 15 minutes towards the end, and that was 
considered gamesmanship and I kind of feel like Sterling making the most of contact there was was falling under similar guidelines. I think this is also, I, I mean, everybody gets tired of me talking about variance in football, but part of variance in football is the more opportunities you give for the breaks to go against you in a low-scoring sport, the more you can get hurt. And England were in the penalty box a lot. And part of variance is when the ball's in the penalty box a lot, you can get a soft penalty called against you. You know what I mean? So I, I put that down as sort of the variance that can happen when the opposition has you pinned pretty deep. And in the second half, I thought that was the way it worked. Let, let's row back to the beginning of the game, though. And, you know, if, if Schmeichel was going super cyan, what's the opposite of that for Pickford? Um, I think one of the three main talking points I want to go through from the first half of the game is Pickford. I think it's may, all right. I think it's maybe a little harsh on the free kick to, to really criticize him. Can he get to it? He can. I don't think it's awful. Is it awful in your view? No, no, it's not awful. I mean, the, the free kick itself was just a brilliant piece of it's technique from, from Amsgard. <laughs> it's not, it's, um, it's kind of in between the center and the left. Um, I think it's very high and close to the crossbar, which is kind of, uh, Pickford's kryptonite because we know he's not the tallest goalkeeper. His, his arms aren't the longest, and and that's been no secret. He's been criticised for that before. So, I think in in the moment, I'm willing to give Damsgaard the benefit of the doubt because the technique on the strike was incredible. But maybe if you're looking at another goalkeeper who's a little bit taller, a bit a bit quicker on his feet, um, you'd think maybe he could get closer to it. But I mean, saying he sh- he should save it is just completely wide of the mark. I don't think. That's like, a, oh my God, that should never be a goal. I just think he kind of looked very uh, unconvincing in that particular moment. Yeah, and I thought people might have been a bit harsh on him there, but he did have his moments in this first half in particular where he seemed nervous. He kicked the ball out in the touch quite a few times, and he also had <clears throat> the one he threw, I think pretty much straight to a Denmark player. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. that he was lucky not to get punished. Did the Pickford performance worry you as much as I'm suggesting, or am I overstating it? Is it enough for, I mean, he, he's going to start in the final, but but is is it a worry? Was it as, as bad as some people may have made it out to be? Yeah, it was a little bit of a worry because you could slowly feel him transforming back to the Pickford of old. Um, I think well, generally the throughout the, of the league, basically. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, even for Everton, he improved a lot in the last six months of last season, and you know, throughout the tournament, I think he's been very calm, very assured, you know, uh, his distribution has been excellent, but I just could see those little things creeping back that a little bit of, you know, he's constantly wants to be playing at a hundred miles an hour. And sometimes you just need to tell him like, calm down, you know, um, even for that, that throw, for example, there was just no need to try and spring anything quick there. And he just threw it straight to Damsgaard and, and they were quite fortunate that nothing really came of that. So, you know, his distribution was a little bit off. He came out and punched a few crosses that he could have caught. And, you know, it's normal. These these occasions, they can really uh, mess with you. And and it's difficult to be on top of them. And it was just uh, in the first half in particular, he looked very kind of shaky and struggled to, to get on top of the occasion. But I think in the second half, Denmark didn't really threaten at all, apart from a couple of long-distance shots and sort of grew his way back into the game but for sure there were a few moments when you're kind of like cringing in your chair yeah well there are a few other really important things from this first half I think worth discussing but since this is at least notionally an Arsenal podcast let's talk about Saka's contribution I think about a sort of similar pattern to Sancho's 
contribution in a way in the sense that I, I just don't think the ball went through that side quite as much. Um, Mount seemed to drift to the right, which pulled defenders away and gave Sterling space. And I, I thought Sterling used it well and Kane was pretty clever in general. But there were a lot of defenders over on that side when Saka got the ball. A lot of times his only option was back to Mount or back to Walker. But it's his runs in behind, whether against low blocks or on the counter, he's so intelligent with them and he's so good with them. And even though I'm not sure his first touch is as clean as he'd like or the pass is quite on time, it's still that perfectly timed run, admittedly a great ball in him. And in the moment, you know, a lot of pressure, down 1-0, you could maybe just slam it at the keeper. He doesn't, he keeps his nerve, and he he slides it into the the right position, at least, for it to become an own goal. I'm not going to say it was executed flawlessly, but it still felt great to see Saka make the right run, make the right decision, and be the critical piece of of the equalizer. So... In general, how happy were you in that moment, both as an England supporter and Arsenal fan? And in general, what do you think of his contribution? Yeah, really pleased for him. I I don't think it was his best performance uh, by any stretch. I don't think he did anything badly. Um, He just wasn't really overly involved. Um, But for sure, the the run, you know, as soon as Kane picks up the ball, he's gone. And actually, to to be fair to Kane, the the timing and the execution of his his pass is, is faultless there yep i mean um you know he splits the defense perfectly saka does well and obviously he forces the own goal i completely agree with what you said about you know the first kind of 30 minutes there were just too many people on the right hand side mount was way too close to saka uh kane was kind of dropping into that right half space as well even Carl Walker, whenever, whenever he got the ball, he was just kind of bombing into the same space. And you know what it reminded like, me of? Just... So, sorry to cut you off, but, but, but Arsenal no, no, at no, times no, no, no. last season when like mm-hmm. Bellerin mm-hmm. would just stand where Pepe would want to go and stuff like that. Yeah, like, yeah. There were just a lot of times where I was like, make some space. <laughs> what are y'all doing? Yeah. <laughs> we're standing in a phone and, booth. <laughs> and for me, that was just working perfectly for Denmark because they, you could throw a blanket over four players. You know, that's not going to trouble them at all. You need people in space where they can you know, uh, commit defenders and and do damage, you know, and I just felt like they were all on each other's toes and it wasn't quite right between, you know, that little triangle between Mount and Saka and Kane. And I just, I just wanted them to leave him alone a bit, like you said, with Sterling, because he basically had the left side all to himself the whole game. Um, and maybe that was, uh, you know, a tactical instruction or something they'd worked on before, but it was just like, right, just to leave him a little bit of space because he wants to come inside and link with people um, and there wasn't so much of that available, but I think they tweaked things slightly and he got on the ball a bit more. He was tracking Mailer really well, um, even though for the, the first kind of 15, 20 minutes, he, he wasn't quite sure of his role. But I thought he was really diligent in his defensive work. He's, he's coming inside. He had a few nice moments with with Kane. So, yeah, just really, really pleased for him. I think everyone's kind of taken him uh, under their wing in the England squad and slowly the, the sort of the country are, are seeing what we've been seeing for such a long time. And I'm just delighted for him because he's he's just such a good player and, and a great, you know, a great kid by, by any stretch. I, I think he's just done a brilliant job to force his way in. I think his performance may have been enough to secure his place in the final. I will certainly say that the good news is like, I think there were people frustrated with this election outside the Arsenal sphere and him being involved in the equalizer. You know, I, I think, calms a lot of that down, certainly, and makes the selection look justified. There was actually a moment right before he gets taken off, I think, where he skips past the defender, and it looks like he's free in the box. And I guess the defender maybe sticks a toe in from behind and kind of pokes it away from him. Like, he had those nearly moments where he would skip past a guy 
and he, it just didn't quite happen. I think he's got a really interesting rapport with Sterling, too. They were kind of looking for each other when he would cut inside. There were times when he'd pop up on the left and combine. He, he's a wonderful player, and I, I hope he gets his chance to start the final. I'm glad he was involved in the goal. But let's let's move on to some of the other sort of key points of that first half. And I think against Italy, this may not be as much of an issue because England probably won't be or won't be as much the dominant force in the game, certainly a little more equal. And to be fair to Denmark, I thought they gave as good as they got in the first half, maybe not so much in the second half, um, and looked good on the counter. But I I thought this was the first game where I really looked at it and said the Rice-Phillips pivot is a problem. There was a ball progression problem. There just was. Like, first of all, Phillips was gambling a lot. I don't know if that was an instruction, but it looked like he was trying to jump passes. He was missing them, and Walker was having to, and Shaw, but Walker in particular, do an absolutely immense job covering the space when when Phillips would gamble and not get there. Rice didn't look like he wanted to move the ball forward. Phillips didn't either. I mean, there were so many opportunities to give it to Mountain between the lines where both of them just went right back to defenders. I, I understand why he doesn't want to pick Bellingham there, and I'm not sure how healthy Henderson is. But setting that aside, do you think that in this game, especially in that first half, their lack of ball progression and sort of lack of comfort on the ball and the way Denmark really seemed to target them for pressure was the biggest problem for England? I completely agree. I was literally thinking the same thing. Today was kind of the first time I looked at them both and I thought, ooh, maybe, you know, this is, you know, you, if you look at them up against Jorginho, Verratti, Locatelli, Barella, you're kind of like, you know, it's doesn't look great. I mean, for me, I'm going to keep banging this drum. I think Calvin Phillips can play the deep role. He's done it for Leeds. He's got a nice um, pass when he can, you know, when he when he can feel confident to do it. I think he can break lines. I think he's got nice energy to kind of break up the play and win the ball in front of the back four. For me today, Declan Rice was just a, a bit too slow and ponderous. And I'm not saying he's a bad player by any stretch. I mean, We've seen it week in, week out in the Premier League. He's done an amazing job for West Ham. But I just think today you kind of saw his limitations a bit. And he was, you know, I'm not knocking his defensive work. I think he's a really useful player to have when you're kind of up against it. But when the initiative is on you and and you need someone to really get the ball going from deep, I don't, I just don't think he's proactive enough. And, you know, Phillips today, I don't think it was his best game, but I feel like he can do it. I've seen him do it, and I know he can do it. And I think he's got the added mobility that maybe Declan Rice doesn't have. Um, and for me, I would really think about starting um, Phillips in a potentially deeper role for the next game. But like you said, it's difficult to just throw in Bellingham now into a Euro final. And That's obviously, we don't know how, yeah. how, yeah, we don't know how fit Henderson is. But yeah. I think. I think today was kind of like the litmus test for Henderson and I'm pretty, I've got a feeling that he might come back into the side. I've just got, a, I don't know, the way Southgate's been easing him in, giving him 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 60 minutes. I just think he's priming him for this final and I think he, he could be um, kind of a nice unlockable, shall we say, for the for the final if he's, if he's you know, fit and healthy because today the balance just wasn't quite right between the midfield two. I mean, the funny thing is against Germany in a back three, what those two have to do is a little bit different <clears throat> and you, you're going to use those wide spaces more. But today, watching them get the ball and just absolutely refuse to give it to Mount between the lines, absolutely refuse to give it to Kane when he dropped in and turn around and give it back to the defenders or just the wall passing going on. Like it it, it was a little bit frustrating. And I, I feel for Southgate because again, not to be too repetitive, 
you've got a teenager in Bellingham, you've got a potentially unfit Henderson. It's not the ideal solution there. So one other thing then I think from the first half is the guy who deserves real credit for, you know, keeping England in it early was was Kyle Walker. It really is a cheat code having a very strong, very, very fast fullback who can cover the ground like he does. There's one recovery where I, I think it was one of those where Phillips tried to jump a pass, didn't get their ball, gets played in behind, and Walker comes all the way across, covers the ground, shoulder to shoulder, and, and recovers the ball. I thought he was immense, and during the period of the game where Denmark really were in it and really were doing their share of the attacking and counterattacking, that's when I thought Walker was absolutely indispensable. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, he he gives you that luxury. I mean, we, we, we've spoken about Phillips gambling a lot more today, and for me, it wouldn't be a surprise if that was an instruction because with Walker there, you kind of have a security blanket because you know, unless he's playing against someone super quick like a Leroy Sané or a Kingsley Coman or someone like that, you're backing against most wingers. And even today, there were times when you know, Damsgaard had a, a good five yards to the head start on him, Braithwaite the same, and he just kind of zooms back. You know, he's just um, unbelievably quick, and he's always been that quick, really. I mean, uh, for a couple of years under Pochettino, he's probably one of the best right backs in the world, to be honest. And um, I think he really affords you that luxury. But in general, I thought the whole England back four were excellent today. I really liked John Stones and, and Harry Maguire. I mean, Maguire especially. I don't know what's you know, gotten into him, but in the last couple of games, he's been, you know, faultless, superb. Um, and Luke Shaw has just been so consistent. But, you know, I can't think of across the England team, I couldn't pinpoint anyone and say they were bad. Um, I just think probably the midfield two were a little bit shaky and a bit weak at times, but I thought everybody um, kind of did their job and performed to a, a good level. But obviously, you know, I think Denmark definitely deserve a mention for their first half because I think after a quick start for England, Denmark settled very quickly and got into their passing rhythm. I thought the two midfielders in particular, Hoiberg and uh, Thomas Delaney, amazing, really good, pressing, physical. They won all their challenges and I just thought they were excellent. Mailer on the left was a, was a threat going forward. So I don't know, I feel bad for Denmark, but they just you could see they were just completely gassed. Um, and as soon as it went into extra time, you thought, right, this is going to be England's game. Yeah, I actually thought in the second half that if he was, if Southgate was ever going to take a risk and just go for it, um, he could have brought on someone for one of Rice and Phillips, maybe a Bellingham. I, I do want to get to the substitution then. Like, I, look, I'm, I love Saka, so I always feel like subbing him off is the wrong choice. But in this instance, I actually did think it was the wrong choice. Now, he may still be carrying the knock. We don't know. I think Grealish for Mount straight up might have made sense. But he did go Grealish for Saka. And I don't know. I didn't think Mount was great in this game. And I he's a very, very good player. I'm not undermining him. But I also tend to think Grealish as more of the, the player between the lines in a true kind of number 10 role is better than when he's wider. Maybe other people have a, a better and different perspective on that. But in general, did you think it was the right swap? Would you prefer to see Grealish from out more of a, a true like-for-like? Like? Uh, I don't know. I I think it was kind of fair. I mean, I I expected Saka to get 60, 65 minutes and come off because he's, you know, Kane is not going to move anywhere. Sterling's not going to go anywhere. Um, Saka is the the least senior of all four options. Um, he's just coming back from a knock. So for me, it was kind of uh, obvious what was going to happen. Uh, but I agree. I don't really think 
I mean, it's not a, t- a bad move by any way because, you know, Sterling's just as dangerous on the right. Um, we saw it, you know, he just towards the end of the game, especially his direct running was just killing that that side. Um, but you're right. I think if you put Grealish kind of on the touchline, you reduce him a bit and it's easier to foul him. It's easier to stop him there. But whereas if you can get the ball on the turn in the middle, in those kind of pockets of space, he can definitely do more damage for me. And like you said, I don't think Mount was bad, but if he did take off Mount for Grealish, I wouldn't have second guessed it, but I just felt like Saka was kind of the easy option for Southgate. And I don't think many people would have complained it. So uh, yeah, I just complained thought about it. That, that England really looked dangerous in all the one V ones on the outside. And Saka had just beaten a guy. Again, I understand all the reasons he came off. And it's not like Mount can't beat a guy. It also meant Sterling coming over to the right. So, you know, we saw that work really well in, in the previous game. So I, all, all in all, I don't, it's not that I have a problem with it. It's that I don't know that Mount was brilliant and I'm not sure that Grealish is as effective in that role. And that leads to the next point, which is that Grealish winds up getting subbed off. I mean, it's not disrespectful for an attacking player who's not particularly heavyweight getting subbed off for a defensive player late in, in extra time. But did it still surprise you? I mean, theoretically, he could have subbed off Mount and let left Grealish on. And does it tell you a little something about what he thinks of Grealish sort of at both ends of the pitch, for lack of a better way to put it, that it's Grealish that is taken off for Trippier? I mean, maybe. I kind of feel like in extra time, anything goes. And I think Southgate would have been very honest with Grealish and said, look, I don't think you've been bad. I don't think um, this is anything to do with your performance. I just need an extra defensive player on and you're kind of the easiest one for but me like to Mount take off But like Mount had been on again. the whole game. So you could be like, well, Grealish is more yeah. fresh. I'll take Mount off. And he didn't do that. And I think that says a little thing about what he thinks of Grealish's defensive work rate. I mean, maybe I'm I'm reading way too far into that. I also don't think he was great, period. But um, you, you don't see it that way? No, I don't. I mean, maybe it's... Um, I'm not looking at it closely enough, but I just feel like it's kind of the Wild West in extra time. Everything goes. You can play 10 centre-backs or, you know, people don't really care. The structure of the game completely uh, dissipates, so I'm not overly convinced there was much thinking behind that other than you're a kind of luxury midfield player who's going to be on the ball and creating stuff, and I just need an extra body in defence. So I don't think... Um, there was too much to read into it. I think Southgate would have put an arm around him and said, look, this is the situation. I need this from you. I hope it's not too bad. And yeah, it's a team game. He would have been fine to come off, I think, even um, if, it, if it was a little bit hurt in, in terms of his pride. But, you know, they won and that's and that's all that matters, I think. At, at that point, who cares? Like genuinely, who cares? Exactly, <laughs> I mean, exactly. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to make a thing about it, but it is, a, you know, look, anytime a sub gets subbed, it's a talking point at some level, but not when you're in a semifinal and, and it's extra time and you, you've just gone through to the final. Um, you know, the first final. We've just been scarred by Meza Ozil, that's why. Well, the, the well, years of the Ozil discourse have finally broken us. Not only so. that, not only that. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, just sort of wrapping this up, I mean, first of all, on the Denmark front, this was not the pat their heads cute puppy that made it to the semifinal. This is a good team with good players that played well. I just thought they they really lost the energy and the drive to be in the game part of the second half and really all of the the stoppage time. But the narrative is obviously fun and and they become the 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 team that everybody embraces because of of the the tragedy of or near tragedy of what happened. But I said this on a previous pod. I think that actually does a disservice to the talent out there. They deserve a lot of credit for not just being able to get themselves emotionally 
back in the right frame of mind to compete in this tournament, but for the quality they showed in doing it. So absolutely nothing but praise for Denmark. No, no, completely. I think they've they've had an absolutely incredible tournament. I think first of all, Kasper Hulman has has proven himself to be a really intelligent uh, and savvy coach. He's changed systems a couple of times. They've played with a four. They've played with a three. Um, he's really brought the best out of Mikael Damsgaard, even though obviously his emergence was kind of through necessity in the end. I think he's really relied on a strong spine. As we mentioned, the two midfielders, Hoiberg and Delaney, were excellent today. But, you know, even across the back three, I thought, you know, uh, Kier was super solid in the middle. And I know we kind of pinpointed him as a weakness, but Vestergaard, again, was was really good in kind of an unnatural role as the left centre-back. And obviously Kasper Schmeichel, I mean, you know, he was on a one-man mission to try and get Denmark through tonight. And I think he's just transformed into such an incredible goalkeeper so they can absolutely uh, come out of this with their heads held high I mean there will obviously be a sour taste left in their mouths that they couldn't uh, you know go all the way and complete the the fairy tale ending but really they've been such a surprise such a welcome surprise and you know there's a few players now that people will be looking at and thinking hmm maybe we can take a, a punt on these guys because you know they've more than than shown their talent and I think They've been just a really wonderful story for a wonderful tournament. Yeah, and as for England, you know, there's been a lot of wonderful stories in the England camp, certainly. I mean, it is still Harry Harry Kane's <laughs> team. Um, but But is it maybe also just a little bit finally, rightfully, becoming Raheem Sterling's team a bit too? I mean, he he did so much in this game to just bring the ball out of danger, carry it into the penalty area, win the penalty that wins it, whether you love that or hate that, um, in the spot that leads to the own goal. Uh, I mean, he does have a bad miss, you would say, from a position where he should do better, and maybe very, very early in the game, not quite able to get on the end of a really nice ball from Kane. But for a player who has been so poorly treated by the press for no good reason, it's a tournament that he can be really proud of, and one where I think he's become, if not the absolute leader of the team, right there is one of them. Is that fair to say? Completely. Um, It's every bit his team, as much as it is Harry Kane's at the moment. And I'm just so pleased for him because he's had to fight so much. He's had to battle, um, you know, people kind of wrote him off before the tournament. He had a slow end to the season at City, but it's what we said in yesterday's pod. He's just, nobody else can do this role. Um, for England nobody's going to do what he did today I mean I think he had 10 take-ons which is just mad you know like especially in extra time what I really loved he wasn't just kind of getting on the ball and passing it backwards he knew that Denmark were tired and his first thought was right I'm quick I'm fresher than these guys let me go at them just let me go at these guys because I know they're vulnerable and I love that mentality I think he's just kicked up not just one two three but like five gears his end product obviously is still maybe not as sharp as some would like but for me it's the typical thing you want your forwards to be in these positions that and that's you know the main aim of the game the goals will come is if they're not getting anywhere close to goal if they're not involved that's the problem and with sterling he's always involved he's always committing players he's always you know challenging players trying to get to the byline crossing the ball and yeah, for me, he's just such a unique player and vital to this England team because, as we said yesterday, we can go through every single player in that front line. No one can do this as well as him. 
and you know it was kind of apt that he had uh the game sort of winning contribution kind of with the penalty but also he was on hand to be there for the own goal and he's just been brilliant and I'm so glad that he can do this and hopefully change some perceptions because you know even doing it in his in his hometown of Brent is just a lovely story yeah yeah I'm happy for him I, I really am. Um, and coming off a, a poor season by his standards, I think it's important to say. So, you know, really great to see this happen for him. We won't do a preview of the final because we're going to do a full preview of the final and really give it its due. So we don't need to give it short shrift right now. But the one thing that I'm just thinking, if Saka can start, I mean, just in the back of my mind, Emerson, Saka, that screams opportunity i mean if if saka gets the start and and italy have emerson on that flank and we know he's he's not much of a defender it, it's it's pretty tempting to say that the opportunity is there for saka to make him himself an england hero in that matchup right i, I would love it i would absolutely love that um he's kind of before the euros i was not in team leave Saka out, but I could see both sides. You know, if he goes brilliant, he can have this experience with the England squad. I didn't think he would be playing this much, so that's fine. But I also thought if he was left out, he could come back to London, put his feet up, rest up. He's had a long season and come back for preseason stronger. But now, having seen what's happened, forced his way into the team, played really well. I'm so glad that he's that he's there and been on this experience. And yeah, I would just absolutely love for him to be a, a decisive figure in the final. But for me, the the big uh, the big battle in that game is going to be the midfields. Yeah, that, um, well, and, England's not going to win the midfield battle, my friend. I'm no, really exactly. <laughs> and I think Southgate has a lot of thinking to do because will he have to overcompensate again with a back three to try and get some more bodies in in there? Because in terms of man for man. There's just no competition, really. Jorginho, Verratti, Locatelli, Barella, they blow England's options out of the water. So for me, that's where the game's going to be won and lost. No, um, no. the game is going to be won was... by Bukayo Saka skipping past Emerson <laughs> and putting it in the postage stamp with a beautiful curled shot. Let's leave it there, Phil. We'll do We'll do a full preview. It's absolutely... Yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. So, um, yeah, happy for you, England. Sorry for you, Denmark. What an incredible tournament. And still, one step left for it to maybe come home. Phil's on Twitter, underscore Phil Costa. Thanks, Phil. Thank you. If you want to celebrate that star boy, that star boy Saka, you want to have a mug with him riding a unicorn or a shirt, Brandon McKenna hand drew a rendering of that image, put it on a beautiful psychedelic background, and we got it. Just go to our uh, website, arsenalvisionpodcast.com. You see it right there, or you can hit the shop link, either one. All right, we'll leave it there. There'll be a full podcast tomorrow, I believe, a full preview for the final, and then a, uh, a full final wrap-up. So this has been a ton of fun. It's down to two of you, Italy and England. Wherever you are, whoever you support, as long as one or two of them, I'm at home. <laughs>